We've been on a journey through the book of Romans. And he's been leading us through this journey in a very excited and a very blessed time. It's a blessed time because we're in the word together. <coughs> and the book of Romans has been known as the greatest book in the, the New Testament in one sense of the word because it is a clear, concise presentation of what it means to be a Christian and all of the various things that are attached to that meaning. It is a wonderful, wonderful book. It is a life-changing book. I said it's been a blessed time. Actually, the book of Romans is divided into three parts. The first eight chapters are the ones that we've been looking at together as a church and as our friends come to hear the word. Um, from chapters 12 through, I mean, chapters 9 through 11, it's talking about the issue of Israel and how Israel fits into this wonderful gospel plan. And Pastor will be dealing with that in the weeks here to come very recently, very soon. And then the third division is the chapters 12 through 16, which talks about how to live the Christian life, how to be renewed in your mind, how to experience dynamic change in your life. So it's been a wonderful time and a blessed time. If you agree with that, just say, clap your hands. Amen. Now, I will not be running around on the platform because I'm not able to. I envy those who can. There are many biblical scholars who call Romans the eighth chapter, that's where we are today, the Mount Everest of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but as we began this journey together, we had hoped to gain the knowledge that we could be victorious in our walk with Christ and to obey the Apostle Peter who says to us that we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've entitled our message today, it's part 11 of this series, Mountaintop Peaks on the Roman Journey. Mountaintop Peaks on the Road to Journey, on the Roman Journey. You know, we're blessed as Arizonians here in southeastern Arizona. We have the mountain peaks galore. We have the Galeros. We have the Catalinas. We have the Rincons out of Tucson. And we're blessed to see these wonderful mountain peaks every day. How many of you drive by the church on your way to work or on your way to Tucson or on your way wherever? Just you pass the church during the week sometimes. And I wonder how many of you just stop to think and look over. Well, you can't because there's a wall there. Hmm. I tried out for a church one time who had glass on for the walls. And I thought, pastor would be crazy to take this assignment because they had little chipmunks and little squirrels and, and a few little cacti, and they had nice uh, landscaping. And you sat in church, and everybody sat there and looked out the window. But in your imagination this morning, just pretend that we take out this wall here to the south, and you can look and see the beautiful Mount Rainbow. How many of you take time to thank God for the mountain peaks of our beautiful creation? Amen. 
Now, Mount Everest in the Himalayas in the China-India border is 29,000 feet high, 29 and 10 feet or so, depending on the ice and snow that's on the top. And it's pretty awesome to say that uh, this part of Scripture, the book of Romans chapter 8, is compared to Mount Everest. And Mount Lemmon is 9,000, about 10 feet or so, depending again on how they measure it. So Mount Everest is three times taller than the Catalina and the uh, peak of, of, uh, of uh, Mount Lemmon. I couldn't think of the lady's name. We're going to be looking at some of these peaks. Now, see, now, you look away from me. I'm going to take this wall out here. It's clear now, and you can look and see. Go ahead and turn your head and look. Let's see if you match. Some of you don't cooperate very well. But I want us to look at some peaks today that we find in Romans 8, and we'll be blessed by it. We will be glancing at some of these peaks today, and Brother P.J. will come back next week and finish up this series on the first eight chapters because there's so many peaks here, we don't have time to cover them all. Our first peak. Are you looking? Can you see it? The first peak we're looking at today is found in verse 1 where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an awesome statement. And the emphasis I place on the scripture there is there is now. Now based on what we've learned. We've learned that the righteousness of God is ours as a free gift. We've learned that our relationship with God isn't based on our performance, our works, but upon what Jesus did. It's not what we do, it's what he did and what he does. We've learned that he ever lives to make intercession for each one of us. Right now, Jesus is interceding for poor old Pastor Bob and a few that have a difficult time listening. He's interceding for all of us. Amen. The emphasis in this scripture, verse 1, is on the, the word now. It's an astonishing statement to make. It's a legal term. Condemnation is a law court term. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful liberty we find in this passage of the word of God. But someone sitting there listening to me saying, but Pastor Bob, why do I feel guilty? Even though the scripture says and declares there's no condemnation in the believer, why do I feel guilty? I think it's time for us to look honestly at the guilt question of scripture. Now, the, there's now no condemnation is written to those who've experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to those who have received the power of God to live for God. And we've been taught by our pastors so clearly and so adeptly that we have everything we need in the Christian life and the Christian walk. Jesus has fulfilled it all. He paid it in full. 
why did we feel guilty sometimes when we really haven't done all that bad, but still we feel guilty? If you go back to the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, for example, I rather Numbers and Leviticus, you'll find over a hundred times that I quit counting after a hundred, where it talks about in the sacrificial system of Judaism that they had to uh, uh, express themselves in certain ways, and they had offerings they came before God. They're called peace offerings. The Hebrew word is rosham, and it means to be brought near to. Every time the priest would offer a peace offering, he was bringing the people closer to God. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die partially for our sins. If that be true, there's no victory for any of us. We needed a full offering, a full payment of sin, and the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary accomplishes that. But Back to my question, why, why do I still feel guilty at times? I see a man, now why it's a man, I don't know, but I'm calling him the composite man. These are men that I've observed through the years who, maybe they're white. Now, why men are this way, I don't know. But their wives come to the Lord. Many times their children come to the Lord, but the men tend to hang out or to hang back. And usually this composite man is something like this. He's a good man. He's good to his family. He's not perfect. He works hard. He takes pride in providing the things he can for his family. He's not a, well, his language is a little bit on the edge sometimes, you know, a few little naughty words that he learned as a boy and he thinks it makes him sound bigger so he uses those words but you just can't quite get him to understand that there's salvation in Christ there's a whole new life there's an eternity we're promised why don't you come why don't you give your heart to the Lord why don't, why don't you see us rejoice as you're baptized in water in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit I think if he would really be honest with you, and he is an honest man, and he does not like hypocrisy, this composite man. Every time he comes to church, every time he doesn't come to church, every time somebody says that you ought to be in church, he feels guilty. Why? Because he knows that he does sin. Even after he's given his heart to the Lord, sometimes he knows he sins. And the Bible says Christians do sin. If we say we have no sin, the truth isn't in us. We lie. John the Apostle says we're liars if we say we haven't sinned. And that kind of man is the one who needs to hear once and for all that Jesus fulfilled the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And it's all wrapped up in what he did at Calvary. And he didn't pay a partial. He said, paid in full. When we have those guilt feelings, they're really normal because we do stumble. We do, as Pastor James often says, we mess up. And because of that, 
we have the freedom to know that there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament part of the offerings and sacrifices was a guilt offering to take care of this residual guilt that we feel when we fail. He fulfilled this offering on the cross of Calvary. Can I hear amen? We don't have to live in guilt any longer. Now, now, there is no condemnation. Hallelujah. Did you notice in your Bible readings? Excuse me. Did you notice in your Bible reading this week? See, I just produced some guilt on purpose because I know that many of you don't open the Bible from Sunday to Sunday. You know how I know it? Because you leave your Bibles here in your seat. <laughs> and then nosy me comes along on Monday, Tuesday, and I'm looking around with Janet back there, and we find Bibles left here with names in them. And only because we are loving and kind and Christ-like, we don't put you on the email or the whatever it's put on. Would you do me a favor? I don't get to preach often. You can tell that because I'm just giving it all I can give. Would you do me a favor? I'm not challenging you because Paul said don't challenge one another. Ephesians. Ephesians something there. Don't challenge. I'm not challenging. Do me a favor. It may be the only time I ever get to say this. Would you sit down and turn that dumb thing off for a little while and open up your Bible this week to chapter 8 of Romans, the Everest of Scripture. And Tell the wife to hush up. <laughs> Tell the kids to go in the other room and meditatively read the eighth chapter of Romans for yourself. How many of you can read? Would you do that for me? I may not get to preach again, ever. We don't know what, how much time we've got left. I just want you to help me to feel good about what I did this morning. And the only way to do it is to get your cooperation. Now, some of you have already tuned me out. I ain't going to do that. Let me tell you this. In Romans, the seventh chapter, which Paul, uh, which the Pastor James preached on last Sunday, and Wonderful explanation of Romans 7. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned a single time because he's talking about us and our relationship to law and our inability to fulfill the law. It's only a mirror. You remember his illustration? To reflect on who we are. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned a single time, but now in chapter 8, as you begin to read it, as you had promised you would, he is mentioned, guess what, 18 times. 18 times. 
You ought to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit every day of your life as a believer. You say, well, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? How do you know your sins are forgiven? Because God's Word says so. Because God's Word is always faithful. And through your exercising of the relationship you have with Jesus, your Savior, and the Holy Spirit, and the Father, the time will come when you can say, I know the Holy Spirit led me in this way. I know the Holy Spirit caused me to speak those words that I did not have the education or the ability to speak. I know that I know the Holy Spirit is in me. And he's at work. That's why Romans, the eighth chapter, is such a, such a chapter that inspires us. And it's a chapter that doesn't lay a guilt trip on any of us. Someone said one time he quit going to church because Jesus put too much guilt on him. It wasn't Jesus. It was his own conscience. God using the conscience to speak in such a way that he would come to know what it was to be in relationship to God. Hallelujah. Jesus is promised the believer in Acts chapter 2. <coughs> Acts chapter 2 we read, Repent, turn back, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. How do you know your sins are forgiven? Because God's word says so. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 from the New American Standard Version. The gift is not a gift the Holy Spirit gives to you like he gives you a Bible or something. The gift of the Holy Spirit, according to the original writers of Scripture, means he gives himself. He literally, spiritually, dynamically gives himself to each of us. And we have that blessed privilege of walking in with him by the, what he does in us. And we can have a true knowledge as we experience this. See it over there? No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We have the indwelling of God the Spirit in each of us. And as Romans continues to say, chapter 8, verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That first peak that you're looking at there says so clearly and powerfully, there is now no condemnation. Amen. Now look again. Some of you that are looking at me, it's hard for you to twist your neck. I know you're, you're, you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Turn it, okay, by faith you can do this. 
turn and look and see this other peak that we're looking at. Peak number two. It says we are more than conquerors. The Bible tells us, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Oh, that's New American Standard. The King James says, more than, more than anything else in life, Jesus has caused us to conquer this life. Now, when do you think, beloved, that the Apostle Paul uses this analogy? Why does he use this analogy? Well, I think it's clear. The Romans, to whom this letter is originally addressed, had the greatest military might of any nation that had ever existed. Even to this day, the Roman Empire is marveled at as far as the power that it wielded in that time. The world, as it was then known, was conquered by the Roman army. The apostle obviously was thinking of the times that the Roman armies would go out to a foreign nation and subdue them in warfare. And then the commanding general of that force would come back into the city of Rome, marching in front of a great procession, a triumphal procession, and the slaves and the soldiers that had been conquered were all in chains and being marched in front of the Caesars and the Senate of Rome. They had overwhelmingly conquered their enemies. And Paul says, we are just like that. Rome's military might at this time in history was the greatest known to man. We overwhelmingly conquer in that same way. In Romans, the 8th chapter, 28 and 29, it assures us of why Christians can be more than conquerors regardless of the circumstances going on in our, in our lives. The scripture says, and we know, I love the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he said, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Can you say hallelujah? We know, he says. In this life, there are things that come upon us that we don't understand at the present time. But later... We see how God has been faithful and worked that situation, that circumstance in our life for our good. Maybe you've heard the story of a Chinese man who had one son and one horse. The son left the gate open and the horse ran away. The neighbors all came and told the man, that's bad. The old man said, how do you know that it's bad? The next day, their horse came down from the mountains with a pack of wild horses following him. The neighbors came again and said, that's good. The old man said, how do you know that is good? The son spoke up. No problem, Dad. I'll break these horses in. While doing so, the son fell and broke his leg. The neighbors came and said, that's bad. The old man said, how do you know that's bad? 
The next day, a Chinese warlord came and took all the able-bodied young men to war. So what's good and what is bad? There are things that have happened in every one of our lives where it could be said, that's bad. But you have lived long enough in faith to see that that which had worked in you, that God caused, the, the, the Greek literally expression is, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. You have seen that situation reversed. You have seen good come out of that which you thought could never come. This life has a way of bringing us good times and difficult times. But God remains faithful throughout. That's why Paul could say here, he could say that not only we have no condemnation, but the fact is that we are known for who we are because of our faith in the working of God. That he makes us ultimately, hear me, ultimately, overwhelmingly conquerors. We're not on a defeated team. We're on the winning team as we conquer every situation that God allows to be brought into our lives. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, which we've already looked at, but it comes into play here, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hallelujah. I love the King James, which says the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad like an explosion within us to know that Okay, this looks bad. Ah, but I know that God is going to ultimately bring good out of this into my life. You say, Pastor Bob, do you really believe that? I really do. Because not only does God's word tell me that that's so and that God is at work at all times and in our life because we've been called according to his purpose, and because we love him, I know that that's true, but I have seen it. I bear witness to it. You bear witness to it if you know that it's true. Yes, we're on the winning team, the overwhelming conquerors. While Pastor Bob gets a drink of water, Amazing how your mouth gets dry up here. When you sit down there, it doesn't get dry. As I said, Pastor James will be back next Sunday, and I know that he's just so much meat. There's so much good stuff here. I could preach till 3 o'clock this afternoon. There might be two people left in here. <laughs> but Pastor James will come back and point out some things that I'm not even looking at today. But the third point, the third point is, look, there's that peak sticking out. See it? It's over there, a little to the right, beyond Mount Lemmon. It's called the Assurance 
of God's love. The assurance of God's love. The Apostle Paul, who was not necessarily a poet or a, a lyricist, but in this passage here in Romans 8, he climbs the top of Mount Everest, spiritually speaking. And he begins to talk about the love of God. God's love for us. The Bible says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. No. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Lord. When we were in South Africa many years ago as missionaries in a Bible school, I signed up at the University of South Africa in their systematic theology department led by the Dutch Reformed Church. And I was assigned to do a paper on the Book of Romans, a passage of my own choosing. So I went to the library, and it was an old-fashioned library. Have you ever been in an old-fashioned library where the lights are kind of dim? Now they're, they're bright. And the floor was wood, and it had that smell of it that you would put. What is it called you put on wood floors? Uh, 
lacquer maybe uh, kind of seeps into the wood and it uh, carries an, uh, a very pungent odor to it, whatever it is called. Turpentine? Well, I don't know if that's it. But I was looking for the Book of Romans section, and I finally found it down this little hallway. Was on both sides were book bookcases, and just filled with books, and the smell of books in the floor. It's a very um, very. I, I think it's wonderful. You you may not think so, but to be there, and and I kept looking for books in Romans, and. I looked down at the floor, and on the floor was a, a little book called The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. Now, that caught my attention. What's normal? Some of the people I fellowship with, they ain't normal. So I, I reached down and picked up the book, and it was written by Watchman Nee. Any of you ever heard of Watchman Nee? He might be dating me, but he was a great apostle of the faith in China in the years leading up to the takeover by the communists, and he was uh, captured and put in prison, and eventually they killed him and made him a martyr. One, one of the great men of God that we will see when we get to heaven, Watchman Nee, a Chinaman. I began reading that book. I just stood there in this dimly lit hallway, a uh, little narrow passageway. And I do not lie, it was almost two hours before I put the book down. I had never read anything so wonderful. Oh, I preached on the love of God. Anybody could talk about the love of God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Oh, I could preach that, good Baptist fashion, or any other kind. But I felt something strangely warmed around my heart as I read this book about the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life has its clearest meaning in understanding and being assured of God's love for me, Billy Bob Cannon. Now, you ex-Texans don't know what I'm talking about, Billy Bob. God knows my name. He knows mine. He loves me. Oh, I, I could have said that before, but never with such understanding. Almost two hours, I couldn't put the book down. I had an experience, an epiphany with God. And he's available to every one of us if we turn to him in love. He made his love real to me for the first time in my life. God's love is the pinnacle of all pinnacles. And outside of Jesus Christ, none of us can find that true love. The Apostle John, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, says it so beautifully. He said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For our sins. You know, we talked about the fact that some of us feel guilty sometimes. And maybe we should feel guilty. But God has a perfect recipe for dealing with our toil. God is a God not only of mercy and kindness and tenderness to his children, but he's also a God who forgets. I will remember their sins and iniquities no more. Two men were talking one day together, and uh, they were talking about their wives, which is a dangerous thing to do. One fellow said, yeah, every time my wife and I get into a spat, she gets historical with me. And the man said, oh, no, no, you don't mean historical. You mean hysterical. She gets hysterical. He said, no, she doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical because she brings up everything I've ever done that was wrong. God, God doesn't get historical with us. Once you've been adopted into his family, made a child of God, not a slave, he keeps his passions for you. Hallelujah. Well, we've been looking at these peaks. And what a wonderful opportunity it is for us to receive the love of God to know for sure in conclusion that we have no condemnation, no condemnation. We have the truth in us that we are more than conquerors. doesn't matter what we're facing, what we shall face. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And finally, God has his ways of assuring us of his love for us. Hallelujah. You know, in the Bible, it never says that God would destroy his people for a lack of faith. Now, faith is extremely important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Yes, faith is very important, whether it be weak faith, strong faith, faith to be compared, faith that comes from hearing God's word. Yes, faith is important, but God never said of faith like he does of knowledge. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6. I trust that this message has brought some knowledge into your heart and life as you'll pursue it to know the truth that there's no condemnation anymore and to know clearly that we're more than conquerors. God is invested in us in our victory and that he assures us of his undying love. Beloved, the peaks of Romans chapter 8 are essential vistas for understanding the Christian salvation journey. 
It is through these peaks that we see God's revelation and the knowledge we need to be saved and to grow in our faith. Dear one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to choose him today. This could be your moment for all eternity. That eternal life would come to you and to your house. With every head bowed and every eye closed and giving privacy to those around you, if you would receive Jesus Christ today in the perfect sacrifice he made at Calvary, and you want to do that for the first time, you want to say, yes, I receive Christ and what he did for me at Calvary. I believe.